This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are back with more neurology. Daphna, how's it going today? I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> Good. Where are you taking us today? Uh, so today we're going to discuss some of those anatomical disorders that land of the, of the nervous system that land babies in the NICU. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll start with anencephaly. Okay. Sounds good. So anencephaly is an abnormal development during primary neurulation. So this occurs in the first 26 days of gestation. Um, and you reviewed that all very well uh, yesterday. So in anencephaly, there's a failure of the anterior tube closure and subsequent degeneration of the forebrain. And so this means there's an absence of the major amount of brain tissue, skull, and scalp. Um, the brain stem and cerebellum, however, may be spared. So the majority of the brain is missing. So a huge uh, defect. This is seen in 0.2 to 0.3 out of 1,000. Uh, it's seen more common in females than in males. Uh, Hispanic infants are at greater risk. There's also an increased risk with maternal hyperthermia and maternal folate, copper, and zinc deficiencies. The recurrence risk, I think, is rather high, 2 to 5%. And 13 to 33% have other abnormalities, including congenital heart disease, congenital diaphragmatic hernia, renal malformations, hypoplastic adrenal glands, and phalliceles uh, may be associated with trisomy 13 or 18. So if this is seen on prenatal ultrasound, um, usually it's accompanied, the workup is accompanied by a chromosome analysis. Um, other clinical findings, you may have elevated maternal alpha fetoprotein, and we will see uh, with any of these kind of open uh, nervous system defects that um, the AFP is increased. It's detected by fetal ultrasound, usually by 14 to 15 weeks gestation. And of course, it must be distinguished from a ruptured encephalocele, which we'll talk about shortly, and um, must be also distinguished from amniotic bands that may be affecting the scalp uh, and the head region. Um, so sometimes these can look similar on early um, ultrasound. Um, you would do a karyotype. It's often associated with polyhydramnios. And unfortunately, up to 65% um, are associated with spontaneous abortion. Um, but of course, I mean, the anencephaly is at this time not compatible um, with life. Uh, the physical examination of a neonate uh, with the absence of a large part of skull, uh, they can have an absent scalp over the skull abnormality and exposed hemorrhagic fibrotic tissue. Most of these uh, infants are unconscious, but they may have varying degrees of brain stem function if they are live born. 
and they may have spontaneous extremity movements and startle myoclonus, some of the spinal reflexes, and they're often seen to have increased tone and reflexes. Tough, tough cases. Yeah, there's some. There's a lot of interesting. There's a. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts about parents asking about uh, organ donation. I think ah. because they have brainstem function. There's there's a huge potential for these babies to actually donate their organs. Um, right now, it seems like it's mostly for research purposes. But mm -hmm. I feel like for many parents, it means a lot to know that their child contributed to helping others. Mm. Um, so I think that's very interesting when you listen to these interviews of parents. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, they're trying to, find yeah, I mean, it. I think that's a whole, uh, organ donation in the neonatal period for, for many reasons is, is an, an ongoing topic of discussion, isn't it? Yeah. To be fair, <clears throat> I think anencephaly is one of these uh, pathologies where you're like, well, I know what it is. Like you're missing a brain, but they're not going to ask you like kids missing a brain. What is it? Anencephaly or something else. Right. I think the thing you need to remember is that they, they, they will like asking that anencephaly is associated with primary neurulation, mm -hmm, okay? Exactly. Uh, that it's failure of the anterior tube closure, right? That it's, uh, I think that's another one. If you put choice A, failure of anterior tube closure, choice B, failure of posterior tube closure, and good Absolutely. luck on the day of the exam. Um, <laughs> and then that it's associated with... But we're uh, going to talk about that, so you're not, they're not going to miss it. I know, but we, 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 but I feel like, you know, sometimes I read these things and I'm like, what am I supposed to, like, what are, gonna, yeah, what, what are they going to yeah, ask? What are, what are they going to ask? And so what I'm seeing here is uh, maternal hyperthermia. Mm -hmm. I think that's another one. That's a, if you're not following some of the OB stuff, uh, as our global crisis or global, wo global warming crisis, I guess, is, is becoming really more prevalent, there's a lot of talk about how maternal hyperthermia is becoming a problem, like like yeah. like how rising temperatures. Uh, well, and also, I mean, even things like maternal fever, right? Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. with new infections. And... Um, but yeah, so I think these are these are uh, interesting things. And again, elevated maternal alpha fetoprotein, not maternal alpha fetoprotein. Be careful with that. Okay, that's it. I've done my my spiel. Go ahead. You can continue. Oh, you're going to continue. Fair enough. Encephalocele. <laughs> okay. So encephalocele's, um, basically, it's, a, it's another uh, pathology that we talked about in the primary neurulation, okay? And unlike anencephaly, it's the encephalocele that is associated with the failure of closure of the rostral neural tube, resulting in herniation of the meninges and the brain tissue through a skull defect. I mean, and that kind of makes sense if you think about where the defects are, right? Mm -hmm. What you would consider anterior on the infant is the anterior tube, and what would you consider? Yeah, so like the, or... you would be missing like the like that's what, right, the, front. the forehead, the yeah. forehead, and and like that's completely. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think about it, when you've seen babies with anencephaly, like they're missing their forehead basically. Like it's yeah. really, it's like the one thing you see, and so it's not surprising that that is associated with failure of the anterior tube mm -hmm. closure, and that the encephalocele, which leaves something open in the back in mm -hmm. the occipital area, that is failure of the rostral mm -hmm. uh, neurotube. And like I said, if you've seen uh, encephalocele, you will never forget it because it's, it's, uh, it's quite frightening to see. The incidence is 0.1 out of uh, for 1,000 live births. 40% are associated with other anomalies, uh, neural tube defect, microcephaly. So obviously they need a thorough neurological evaluation, which obviously they'll get. 
there's some genetic component that have been suggested and some higher risk in families with a history of neural tube defects, such as spina bifida and anencephaly. It can be observed with other congenital syndromes like Michael Gruber syndrome. And clinically, it's in the occipital uh, location in 70% of cases. So that's the most common one. You could also have frontal, parietal, or nasofrontal region. I have never seen that. Have you? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, this lesion, unfortunately, can lead to an increased risk of spontaneous abortion. And because most of them are covered by skin, you usually have a normal maternal serum alpha fetal protein. Um, you're going to assess for all these other anomalies. You're going to send for chromosome. And usually, these infants will undergo surgery within the first four months of age. Really, the prognosis for these babies is determined by the amount of brain tissue that you will find within the sac. It also depends on what does your neurological evaluation reveal, whether there is hydrocephalus, microcephaly, and other anomalies. And okay, let's see if you remember this. Don't look. Better prognosis, frontal encephalocele or uh, occipital encephalocele? Which one has a better prognosis? Yeah. I honestly don't know. I, I didn't if know I'm asking, the difference. If I'm asking the question. <laughs> it's the frontal. I mean, it has Surprising. a better prognosis. The, yeah, rare, you would... the more rare ones. Yeah, but I mean, you think if you have an encephalus in the middle of your face, like it's probably not. <laughs> it's better to have it in the back. And but yet, no. you probably have less herniated tissue. Maybe, uh, fine. Yes, yes. Smarty <laughs> pets. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's why, but I think. That's what I, that's how I remember it. You couldn't give me the answer and now you're going to give me the explanation for the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but serious, more seriously, it's kind of shocking that the frontal encephalocele, if you show me two babies, one with a posterior encephalocele, one with a frontal, I would have said the frontal one is probably worse. And no, they have better prognosis. Um, you can elect to deliver a baby naturally or via C-section, depending on the size of the sac. And then uh, there's, there's another... Um, entity, which is called a cranial meningocele, which is a type of encephalocele, but it does not have CNS tissue protruding in the, in the lesion. So obviously, they're not going to show you a picture and tell you, but on the MRI, you will see that what's in the sac actually does not involve uh, any CNS tissue and that the brain is sort of stay staying within the skull. So that's very interesting. And in the book, there's two, two pictures of MRI and uh, uh, so that's kind of interesting, yeah. Okay, so I have a myelomeningocele. And um, as a reminder, all of the topics we've covered so far are disorders of primary or secondary neurulation. And in a myelomeningocele, we're kind of working our way down, but there is an abnormal, abnormal development during neurulation in which there is failure of posterior neural tube closure. So um, that is like uh, the encephalocele, but it's different than the encephalocele because uh, the open defects are not typically covered by the skin. And thus there is a cerebral, cerebral fluid leakage of alpha feta protein. So in myelomeningocele, you'd expect to see uh, increased AFP um, you might not see increased uh, AFP and encephalocele because the defects are not typically open. Mm. Now, in a myelomeningocele, the spinal cord, myelo, uh, in addition to the meninges, meningocele, 
herniate through a defect in the spinal canal, and the cord may abnormally progress distally. A spinal meningocele denotes a defect in the spinal canal where the meninges, but not the spinal cord, herniates through the defect. So Milo includes the spinal cord, um, and the meningocele yes. is just the meninges. I think, that, I mean, the way I remember this is quite silly, but basically you could have one of two things or two things herniating. You could have mm. the, the meninges or the, and the spinal cord. So the, the term that is, that has two things, the myelomeningocele has two M's. So it's like both the meninges and the spinal cord. And the one that has only one M, the meningocele is only the, the meninges, only the, so that's how I remember right. it. And so they're kind of on this spectrum um, where kind of the, the least, uh, least, uh, open part of the spectrum is the spina bifida occulta. So what happens in spina bifida occulta means you may not see anything exterior, um, to the skin, but the vertebral bodies are not developed normally. And, and what happens is at one or multiple levels, there may be incomplete closure of the vertebral body. Um, so that, so they don't create a, a total ring around the spinal cord. And sometimes, uh, we pick this up by seeing things like a hairy patch overlying the skin, even though there's no, uh, defect over the spine. And then the kind of intermediate is the meningocele where it's just a protrusion of the meninges. And in the myelomeningocele through that open, uh, defect, uh, you have, um, uh, the cord and the meninges. Okay. Okay. So I'll tell you a little bit more. Uh, they are 0.2 to, to one out of a thousand live births. Um, in the United States, there's an increased frequency in the East and the South regions, the lowest frequency in the West region. I didn't actually recall that. I know. Hmm. And this is one of the major reasons we have, huge uh push for folic acid supplementation because maternal folic acid supplementation decreases the risk for neural tube defects by 60 to 70 percent in the first child there's an increased risk if the pregnant woman has diabetes or is taking medications like valproate or carbamazepine and the neurologic defect uh deficit is seen below the level of the lesion and there is an increased risk for another affected child. And the specific clinical features um, depend on the level of the lesion. The management in utero, um, there uh, can be procedures that include surgical resection and the coverage of the defect to prevent ongoing exposure to amniotic fluid, which is thought to be toxic to the neural tissue. Um, there uh, was this randomized trial for in utero repair of myelomeningocele published in 2011. This was called the MOMS trial or the Management of Myelomeningocele Study. And it determined that in utero repair before 26 weeks gestation was associated with a decreased risk in the primary outcome of fetal or neonatal death or need for shunt by 12 months of age. There was improved second primary outcome of mental and motor function at 30 months of age. There was an increased risk of preterm birth, and there was an increased risk of chorioamniotic membrane separation, placental abruption, oligo, uterine scar thickening, and dehiscence, maternal transfusions at the time of delivery. 
whether or not an in utero procedure is planned, usually a karyotype is done to look for uh, genetic uh, abnormalities. And then the postnatal management um, is important. Uh, you keep the infant in the prone position, cover the lesion with warm, normal saline by sterile uh, technique, uh, covering the sac with sterile dressings, sometimes an occlusive wrap or both, and assessing for other abnormalities uh, like of the spine and in the nervous system, scoliosis, hydrocephalus, and Arnold Chiari malformations, which we will review tomorrow. You want to determine the level of neurologic function. And so you uh, also do an MRI or a CT scan to evaluate for other associated CNS abnormalities and hydrocephalus. Then the baby would undergo surgical repair of the lesion. And if there's associated hydrocephalus, this may be accompanied by a ventriculoperitoneal or VP shunt. You would monitor for ongoing hydrocephalus, which occurs in 80% of infants. I did not realize it was that high. Mm. Uh, and this uh, may develop even post-surgical repair of the lesion. You would look for the monitor. It's not, it's not very intuitive. You would not, right? You're right. like, what does the one have to do with the other almost? Yeah. Mechanically, it doesn't add up. But yeah, yeah. I guess mm -hmm. backing up of CSF. It's true. <laughs> um, you would monitor the neuromuscular function, obviously the urologic function and development of orthopedic abnormalities. The prognosis depends on the level of the lesion. The lower the lesion, the better the outcome because obviously less uh, nervous tissue is affected. And obviously, as with many things, the presence of other anomalies would predict different prognosis. There is an increased risk for mental deficiency and learning disabilities. Okay, I have a question for you. Go for it. Hold on, where did it go? Right where you left it. I know. I hate when people used to say that to me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, if I remembered that, then... If I knew that, if I had that piece of information, this search would not be ongoing. <laughs> oh God, here it is. Okay. Uh, this is a neurology question 80. And it says... A pregnant woman is seen in the antenatal care clinic at 22 weeks gestation to follow up on an abnormal fetal survey four weeks prior. Repeat imaging supports the diagnosis of an occipital encephalocele. The pregnancy has otherwise been uncomplicated and there's no significant maternal medical history. After delivery, the neonatology team suspects that the infant has Meckel syndrome. Which subcellular structure is most likely affected in this infant? Is it A, cilia, B, extracellular matrix, C, mitochondria, D, nuclear pores, or E, sarcoplasmic reticulum? I mean, this one, this one you're going to have to dig deep for. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'm post-call right now. I don't remember. <laughs> Already, made, I'm making excuses. Yeah, making but, excuses. Uh-huh. An occipital encephalocele, mm. right, associated with Meckel syndrome. Um, I'm going to say something. Um, I'm going to guess, complete, completely guess it. So okay. I'm going to guess Why? Why the other, did you guess Because the other, I don't know, they don't, I've never, I haven't read about mitochondria and nuclear pores and 
maybe it's just ignorance, but I don't remember. I've seen <laughs> Celia's mentioned everywhere all the time, right? You could say I, I, I can I can see having read about this. But anyway, it's a guess. I'm guessing Celia. Okay. The answer is A, cilia. <laughs> and go. encephalocele is a cranial defect that results when brain tissue protrudes through a defect in the skull. It is typically covered by skin, and the protrusion also uh, can contain meninges and CSF. A clinical diagnosis of an encephalocele can be established by transillumination to demonstrate the lack of bony tissue. The mass will enlarge with straining or crying. Associated anomalies are frequent, especially in patients with chromosomal anomalies. If occipital encephaseals are part of Meckel syndrome, which is, I, I don't know, it's also called Meckel-Gruber syndrome. Yeah, I don't right. Know, I, assume, I don't I know if Gruber got kicked off of the thing or what, but um, it's a triad of occipital encephaloceal, large polycystic kidneys, and post-axial polydactyly. It's a rare lethal autosomal recessive condition. But the genetic defect leads to ciliary dysfunction. And secondary to the ciliary abnormality, affected patients have the associated kidney and uh, polydactyly anomalies. Evaluation includes a CT of the bony structures and brain MRI to assess intracranial connections. Consultation with neurosurgery and neurology are important, with surgical correction being the main treatment. Frontoethmoidal encephaloceles may be associated with craniofacial deformities and warrant ophthalmologic ophthalmologic evaluation. Basal encephaloceles can also be associated with meningitis, so CSF analysis should be done. Occipital encephaloceles can be associated with cranial nerve abnormalities, blindness, seizures, and hydrocephalus. Patients with occipital lesions should be evaluated for Chiari malformation via MRI. Okay. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to say? I thought you were going to say something. Sorry. No. I didn't to cut you off. Okay. That's it. I'll see you tomorrow then. Okay. Thank Bye you for buddy. listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.